to read to you some powerful verses that Paul writes. Paul writes many powerful things in Scripture. Today it seems particularly meaningful to us in the context of those who have lived among us and gone to be with the Lord, that we focus our attention on the Word. For the church is about the Word if the church is to be the church, about the Word we receive and about the Word we spread. Writing to the church in Thessalonica, we hear Paul say these words. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who continue to believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be Please be seated. When you're in a different context, in a different place, and serving in a different way, things happen that are different and distinct to you. I never shall forget that when I began to attend annual conference as a young student pastor, not really knowing anything about what was going on other than that I had to be there, kind of not looking forward to all those meetings. I don't sit well, even as an adult. But one of the things they did in the context of that meeting of that two and a half days were that they gathered together on one particular hour to remember all of the pastors and the pastor's spouses who had died in the years past. That was a powerful and meaningful service to me as I heard the names called and as I contemplated the years of service so many had given, some many and most over 30 years of service, some 40 and more as they had given their life to the church of Jesus Christ. When you hear that and you think about the persons, you are invited to stand and you will be also invited to stand today when we call the names of those who have been members of this congregation and have passed away. If you knew them well or if they touched your life in a very special way, then when their names are called, we invite you to stand as a family member or a close friend brings a rose down to the forehead in their, in their memory. It is in their memory that they continue to live on. Not only is the death of the loved ones of the church precious in the sight of the Lord, but they are also precious to us. They're precious to us in ways that it's just hard to communicate when we stop to think about it. Because oftentimes we, we know they've been gone, and sometimes they've been gone a good while before we remember them in this type of service. And yet, we know that many of them touched us in very incredible ways. Also, what we don't always know, but we firmly believe, is that every Christian in their walk of life touches many other persons, not those with, just within the congregation in which they serve, but the people who live on their streets, in their neighborhoods, the people they share life with in extended families, places where their works, their acts, uh, their vocation of love is always present with them. So when we think about their impact amongst the body of Christ, that's large, and it's meaningful to us. But when we think about how many peoples they may have shared the word of God with that we don't even know about, and perhaps even they have forgotten, we become aware of the nature of which love holds together the entire body of Christ. 
not just those who worship in the same place, but believers who worship all across the world. You know, the number of persons who have brought God into my life would be impossible for me to count. I don't even remember the earliest ones other than mom or dad. I don't remember them because I wasn't paying much attention. I know most of you probably started out when you were three years old, just in love with Jesus. I didn't do that. I mean, I kind of knew Jesus was there, and I kind of knew Jesus loved me. But as far as staying awake and worship and paying attention to what was being said by whoever that was standing up in front of me, it wasn't going to happen. I mean, I was oblivious. And as I got older, I was still oblivious. Why? Because I couldn't relate. I couldn't make sense out of what was being said most of the time. And now that wasn't because of what I didn't know. It was because oftentimes what is said from the front of a church is in words that people who are not into the church yet, who have not given their minds over to it, can't really comprehend the power of what's being said. There's a sense in which we have to participate to receive the Word of God. I mean, the Word of God can be read to us. It can bounce off of us like it bounces off uh, the furniture. Or it can be received by us into our hearts, into our minds, so that it can be acted upon throughout our life as we continue to live in the presence of God. But it's not always easy to know that or to celebrate that. And when you're young, it's really hard. And yet, also sometimes when we get older, it's really hard, isn't it? How many things do you think about in a given day? How well have you learned how to block out the cares and concerns of your life? For instance, we're in worship. It is 11.02. Did you know that in 58 minutes, <laughs> some people are going to be screaming their heads off as some team in Dallas begins some kind of sporting contest? Thank God that we have machines that record such things. In the old days, you knew when you preached about such things and you you wondered if anybody would show up because it was going to interfere with the Cowboys game. That was a long time ago. Some of you don't have that memory. They used to be good so often that everybody wanted to see them, and they didn't have these magic recorders that really saved the broadcast for you when you got home. But you know, it's not just that. It's the ongoing nature of life, what you have to do this afternoon or tomorrow if you're in town visiting, preparing to leave. It's about someone who you're struggling with, and coming to church makes you think about that, and your mind starts to go toward those things that are pressing on your life. And yet it's that same worry that we sometimes ignore that I believe works in us before we ever really begin to accept it, that it's beginning to find a seed in a story in our life that we can hold on to. This is a story of sense in this passage of Scripture where Paul is reaching back toward this church that he was uh, very centered in in its formation, talking to the people in ways that would touch their base and call them forward to something even stronger than what they were doing. In sense, he's talking about the stewardship that they had exhibited in their own lives, how they had received the Word of God and were continuing to receive the Word of God in new ways as it lived through them. And he was commending them for that. It was with thanksgiving that he remembered the people in this church. There's nothing more powerful than having connections with people in the church of Jesus Christ where they are held together and bound together by the common power of God's word. Now, we know we don't always interpret it the same. 
And you know, it's one of my busiest things to do is during the week, many, many people, all of you are writing and asking me what the Bible means on a particular page. And I spend all my days answering your questions. And you're eager to hear what I had to say about that text so it can tell you exactly what to think, right? For you know that when the preacher stands up, there is nothing but the word in capital W coming forth from us. I wish that were so. And that's the case when, when I'm preaching. I think maybe when Nick is preaching and certainly when Cindy's preaching. And Well, I don't know about Brandon. I've got to hear him preach before I can say that. But I, I'm pretty sure there'll be good sincerity there. But on the serious side... Every word a preacher speaks really or words that God has given him in hopes that the words with a little W can become the word with a big W inside your heart. Because, see, you have to receive that spoken words with a little W before it becomes a big W and actually guides your life. And every person who speaks about Christ is subject to error. Not one of us is perfect, either in interpretation of the scriptures or in our understanding of the same or in our power to interpret in the artistic beauty of the scriptures, because it's more than just reading the words and woodenly saying what they say. Interpretation of another language from which the scriptures come requires an art and a skill. It requires a dedication, but most of all, it requires open hearts. It requires yielded minds from the ones speaking and the ones being spoken to. The best preaching that I ever hear is the one that becomes the word to me. I get something out of it. I've told you that often. It's to make up for my shallow preaching that I do that. Because I don't want people thinking I've been surface level because that's all I know. Although it might be. But I just don't want anybody to miss it. I don't want anybody to miss the chance for God to speak to them. Because you see, I believe that human beings speak. And I know from experience that sometimes when human beings speak... Their actions and the way they say things affects me, making it harder for me to hear the word with a capital W. You probably have experienced that too, perhaps. I don't know. You've had such a long array of wonderful pastors in this congregation that you probably hung on their every word. But if you didn't, sometimes it might have been because of the way they said it or didn't say it. That doesn't keep us from being open to the Spirit. Because, you know, I found God doing some crazy kind of stuff on Sunday morning. Maybe it's after a sermon and somebody comes by and says, you know, that message really spoke to me. I heard clearly, and then they walk on off and I just stare in disbelief at God and say, but I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't even think the text said that. How, how is that? They're so happy, God. What happened? And grin comes over God's face, and the Spirit just whispers, just shut up. <laughs> you know? It's not about you. We want you to live beyond yourself, Doug, because you're pretty limited. So we're there to help. And you know, all of us are pretty limited. And it is so limiting to live in the United States of America. We are raised to believe that we want to be a lot about ourselves. Living beyond yourself takes some effort. It takes some planning. It takes some goal setting. It takes some preparation. And indeed, in this text, we see clearly from Paul that he has a clear goal. His goals, his priorities, the choices that he's made are enumerated in this text to some degree. But the clearest goal is the one that's above and beyond the whole text. His goal was that the people 
who are believers might live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. That's what he says in verse 12. He is there to reaffirm the word to them so that they might live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Now, he didn't say you were earning your own salvation. What he's saying is his goal is to preach and to teach and to love these people that he knows so clearly and so abundantly in a serving kind of way that it is easy for them to grow in stature so that the stewardship of their life might become more and more meaningful each and every year. That's the kind of thing that grows in people, their service of God. In every one of us, there are not many people who start out wholly on fire and never have a, a moment when, they don't, when they're not setting the world on fire. Now, everybody struggles to some degree as we move from one spiritual reality to another. And so that's why it's important that we have goals, goals that we walk. I would submit this goal for each of us, that we live a life that is worthy of God to the best of our ability, who has called us into his baptism and into his kingdom. For you see, this God who calls us, loves us, and, and Paul tries to emulate his love for them. The text also talked about, you know, you saw how it says here, you are witnesses how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Yeah, he says, uh, and if you go back, we, having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. That's in verse 8. Because you had become very dear to us. Now I know this will be foreign to you, but they have pastors running about, shepherds of the people of Israel in those days, who were looking and seeking uh, for their own reward. Isn't that amazing that somebody would be selfish? Isn't it amazing that they'd be a teacher of the, of the gospel of God? And that's what Paul is saying to you. He wouldn't take money from any congregation because he didn't want money standing between him and these people who had no idea what he's about. You see, it's one thing to give money to the church of Jesus Christ and to his kingdom when you realize what it is. It's another to give it when you have a lot of doubts about the church. When you have a lot of doubts, even about Jesus Christ himself. You say, what, what do you mean exactly? I mean this. We should be more like Paul. We should seek to serve others out of the pure joy and love for them when they can't respond to us in any appropriate way, and we should do it selflessly. We should live beyond ourselves. We should take it upon ourselves to buy meals for them, invite them to our house, not expecting them to do anything except be there for us to love them, and believing that if we love strongly enough and powerfully enough, beyond our own willingness, that they will see in us a kind of love that they perhaps have never experienced before outside of immediate family. Someone who has no reason to love me so dearly, but does. That's what Paul did. That's why he wouldn't take any money for it, because he was living in the midst of people who really didn't believe in the gospel. They had this much knowledge of it. Well, now we live in the midst of people who have this kind of knowledge about it, but most of it is wrong. Most of it has been misinterpreted by others who have lived around them or misheard by them as they have come to the hearing of the word with biases. And so a lot of people today, they're like this about the church. I was so proud of our volunteers yesterday when I went to what it is we have in, I could lose track of which town I'm in. I'm in Carrollton, aren't I? What do we have down there on the square in Carrollton? Yeah, I should know. I was down there about three or four hours yesterday. 
And I got to bump into people. They come by the booth and ask us questions about our church. Someone knew people who moved to the area. They don't know anything about Carrollton. They don't know anything about the town. But you know what they got to receive yesterday? Somehow, I don't know how this is all funded. I'm not asking because that could be trouble. But there, Miller got his face painted like a ninja turtle for free. He got a balloon all tied up for him and given to him while he waited patiently in line in the shape of a dinosaur for free. And I'm thinking, who's paying for that? You know, why aren't they charging something? You could get almost anything free but something to eat, which we didn't need anyway, right? Well, kind of we did, but anyway. Just so much free entertainment for the people to be exposed to the people of Carrollton. So good of an opportunity to see our young adults from the evangelism team welcoming people up offering them the opportunity to participate in an orphanage in Pakistan, uh, sharing with them about the ministry in Cambodia, telling them about a church which really reflects the community of Carrollton in a, in a very positive way, a group of people who are bound together by the word to follow Jesus Christ. It's to these kind of people that Paul speaks, wanting them to be stewards of their lives. He also, when he met with them, he was celebrating the reception that the word of God had received from them in the beginning and the way it was continuing to be received from them today. It's one thing to receive the word of God in its beginning. I mean, who would respond to the message? You know what? You can go to hell. I remember hearing that word from Dr. Johnson, a traveling evangelist in Farmersville, Texas. I was about 13 years old. And uh, I thought, hell, he may, and he kept on talking about hell. I got familiar with it. Uh, and I began to think, you know, those fires could catch me. And then he said, you know, you don't have to go to hell. You can turn to Jesus Christ. And I thought, that sounds like a good deal. I'm ready to receive that word. So I went down there and got ready to get baptized, and I did. But the trouble was, after I got baptized and got saved from that uh, bad place, I felt suddenly protected in a little bigger way. And somehow in that experience, I think... I felt so protected that I decided not to follow up. So I took a vacation of about eight years or nine from serious study of the Word. Though I was a Christian, the Word was not growing inside me very much. There came a time when I began to try and hear it again, and it was hard. It was, took discipline. It took discipline because preachers spoke languages that I don't normally speak in. They used words I didn't normally use. And besides that, I had to sit still. You know, that's a hard thing for me. I learn better on the move. Lastly, Paul modeled a clear sense of his priorities, serving God faithfully by pleasing God, not men, is what he says in chapter 2, verse 4. He didn't come to please men. He came to please God. Because the task that God had entrusted to him was his calling was his calling. We are shifting stewardship now this Sunday from receiving your commitments financially to the church to move into a few Sundays where we talk about your calling. What is it that God has called you to do? How is your stewardship in terms of your calling? How are you responding and what are you doing with it? What are you going to do this coming year? What is your goal to handle the calling of God in your life so that you might do something for God in a way that's meaningful. We'll pass out more cards. We'll ask you to sign them. About half of you won't turn them back in. Probably three-fourths of you if you're like last year. But if you get saved between now and then, you'll all turn a card back in. <laughs> all right, maybe you won't. 
But if you don't have a goal for your calling, I can assure you one thing, that is, you're never going to fulfill that calling. And I can promise you, God didn't call you for nothing. God called you for something. Something that is unique to you. Unique to your personality. Unique to your talents. Unique to your skills. Unique to your spiritual gifts. Are you modeling now a clear sense of your calling to your children? To your grandchildren? Do they know what it is that you do and why you do it? When it's about God? Are you expecting them to get all that in Sunday school? Or if not, then surely when they get out of youth. Nobody knows what grandchildren know about their grandparents. There's nothing more special than that bond when that time finally comes. And you get to whisper in their ears. Or maybe speak strongly to their ears when they need it. Maybe... It's just giving them that place where they can let loose because their parents have been speaking in their ears all week long. So grandparents give them the freedom to kind of do their thing. You know, I said don't tell anybody, and I got stern look from my wife when I said that yesterday because don't tell my daughter because she's here in the congregation. So if you won't tell her, that'll be helpful. (laughs) Turns out that Micah likes Diet Coke. She'd never had any before yesterday. <laughs> and it was out of a great big cup, darling. And she just had a little taste of it. But she kind of wanted another little taste, and then I hit it. So there's only two little tastes, but I just want you to know later on, when she can have it, she does like it. <laughs> It'll be a while before I get to keep Micah now. I realize that. <laughs> but I've had her a lot lately, and I've, I've got to introduce her to Diet Coke. So I feel pretty good about myself. After all, it was about pleasing her, not me. <laughs> As we get ready to close this morning, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate the sacrament of Holy Communion. And it's in memory of someone who didn't seek to please himself, but to please others, but most certainly please his Father in heaven. And so he offered up his life as a sacrifice for humanity that we might be better able to respond to the word, that we might be better able to live as human beings with one another, that we might be better able to talk to God and know that the relationship between God and us is righteous. It's in a right relationship, for our sins have been forgiven and pardoned, not because of our goodness or even because of our worthiness, because of the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who offered up his life for us. And he died, and on the third day he was resurrected from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father every moment in eternity, making intercession for his children who are precious in his sight. And he watches the work of the Spirit who moves around this world and in and out of the hearts of those who are willing to entertain his presence there. So this communion between us and God, even as the communion between us and those who who have died and gone to be with Jesus, continues in a very real sense, even did to the present. That is what we count on. That is what we believe. That's why we give our money and our time and our talents and our efforts and our thoughts to the work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ because it makes an eternal difference to people as well as an immediate difference to people 
Because the gospel is about what's going on between us and God and also about what's going on in us. It is a miracle of salvation that transformation stirs us heart and mind and continues to stir us as long as we will listen so that we become more and more combined and confirmed into the body of Christ and the work of the kingdom of God. And so in verse 13, let me read it again. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And like him, I thank God for you, for the believers in this congregation, which give me reason to celebrate as we come to the Lord's table. For those in memory of those who have gone, including our Lord Jesus Christ, and also in communion with all the saints who died before us and gather around us this day, in this place, in the spirit, life, and realm. I don't know exactly what that looks like. I just know it's a crowded house today, here and everywhere Christians are gathering because the saints are gathered with them. For we are remembering how the Lord was in the lives of those who lived for him. And we remember as we come together their calling and how they touched us and what they meant to us. And we remember the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit as he empowers the word to change our thoughts and our actions.